everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Green Room with Neil Griffiths on the Handshake Media Network. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great week. Um, we've got another cool episode for you today. I am joined again by Paul Feig, um, awesome US director. He was in Australia last November to promote Last Christmas, film with Amelia Clark. And he came on the podcast again today to talk about the new Stan series, Love Life, which stars Anna Kendrick. It is out right now. You can check it out on Stan. Uh, yeah, I, I spoke with Paul about the show, uh, working with Anna Kendrick. Fans of Paul Feig will know that he always gets the best out of his actors. Obviously, he was the director behind Bridesmaids, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy. He's worked with McCarthy on Spy, The Heat. Uh, he did the, the Ghostbusters remake in 2016. And obviously, he is behind some of the greatest TV shows of all time, Fight Me On This, Freaks and Geeks, and The Office. Uh, we spoke all about that and um, what he's got coming up next, considering we can't really do anything right now. So here's my chat with Paul Feig on The Green Room. All right, well, Paul, thanks for coming uh, on The Green Room. Thank you. I don't know if you uh, remember this. So last time we spoke, you were in Sydney for last Christmas. And that yeah. was mid-November. Um, it hasn't been that long. This is not the ideal way that I thought we would meet again during a global <laughs> pandemic. But, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's good to see you, you again. We get these days, exactly. <laughs> um, I have to start with quarantine cocktails because obviously the pandemic is, is not a good thing at all. But you, sir, look like you are having the most fun of anyone during this pandemic. You know, I, I try. Uh, it's, I, I want to be the I want to be the one who can lift people's spirits. You know, and uh, yeah, I've got I've got nothing to complain about. I mean, you know, beyond how terrible the situation is for everybody. You know, I'm very lucky. We have a, a nice house stuff, and I, I figured I want to try to help out um, in any way I can. And obviously, I'm not a medical professional, so I can't can't get in there and cure anybody. But um, what I can hopefully do is try to cheer people up, give them a few laughs, and then we raise money for charity at the same time, and I get to make a bunch of cocktails and have, have drinks every day. So, uh, <laughs> Where's the downside in that, right? What episode are we up to? 63? 64 tonight. Number 64. 64 tonight. We're not a break. Never a day off. I've been straight through every single day since morning. How has Mrs. Fig been dealing with that? I imagine she's not loving the camera time as much as you, maybe? Well, she, she, that's what she claims, but every day she comes in earlier and earlier. So I do have a funny feeling, even though I, I think she doth protest too much. <laughs> how was, um, how was her feelings about you uh, showing the world pantsless? Was it last week or the week before? <laughs> oh my God. I've been pantsless. I've been shirtless. I've been, uh, it's a, uh, I've been everythingless. Uh, she, she, uh, she's, she's used to it. I, there's always lots of uh, insanity when I'm around. I, I basically... I'm a very normal, staid person, but if there's a camera on, I'll suddenly will do literally anything. I'd like jackass. <laughs> well, um, Paul, it's it's great to be talking to you again. Obviously, you're here to promote Love Life. Um, tell me about how you got involved in this project. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, brought to us at our, you know, our company. We produce as much as I direct, and um, uh, Sam Boyd brought the idea for this project to us, who created the show, and I just really fell in love with it because it's it was a chance to do like a deep dive into one person's life and their love life, but also what turns a person into who they become through the relationships that they have, both with, uh, you know, love interests and also with their friends and, and their parents and how it really all combines into, into hopefully guiding us towards a successful relationship at the end of a string of unsuccessful ones. 
I mean, I've seen three episodes so far. Um, obviously, Anna Kendrick, who is just amazing. You're very familiar with her. You worked with her on A Simple Favor. Um, mm-hmm. Did you come on the project first or was Anna in before you were? No, it was us. We, uh, we had it and developed it with Sam. Um, and then when Sammy had, Sam had a script ready, I really loved it. And I had just finished working with uh, Anna Kendrick, like you say, on, on A Simple Favor. And so it was like... Gosh, you know, I've been—I was dying to do something else with, with Anna. I remember just thinking this was perfect for her. Like she's so lovable and yet acerbic and funny, but emotional. She could just hit all the tones you need for this really relatable character, which you hope is a relatable character. And so I, you know, I had to send her the script, but she—you know—she doesn't do TV, so I was kind of like, I don't know, let's take a chance. And she really fell in love with it and was just, you know, kind of considering doing doing a series. And, you know, this is a limited series because she's only doing only 10. Every episode, every season will be a different lead character, lead actor. Um, but she fell in love with it and, and so much so that she wanted to come on producerially also and uh, with a lot of ideas based on things she'd been through in her life. And she's been an invaluable resource to us as far as real great details and different types of characters and things we wouldn't have thought of. So it's been a real lovely collaboration. And you mentioned there, well, Love Life is an anthology. Obviously, it will be a different actor each season. Do you guys have a, a draft of the amount of seasons you want and the title characters for each? No, uh, we, we already pitched the second season and it's really great. And it, you know, but what happens is we want it to always have a little bit of a tie to the previous season. So, you know, I obviously can't tell you why, but, but there's definitely tendrils that will go between the seasons so that it's not just, you know, suddenly you're in the 1930s and it's somebody else, you know, it's all, it, it all kind of will mash together if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned this when we spoke in November um, when you were here for last Christmas. You have a, a great knack of bringing these well-known actors but getting something completely different out of them. Like, you know, talk about last Christmas, Amelia Clark. We all know her from Game of Thrones. You may you showed that she's actually a hilarious actor as well as, as being a, a crazy dramatic actress. There's Jason yeah. Statham. There's Chris Hemsworth. Uh, what it was it same with Anna in, in a simple favor the that was obviously a dark movie something we've never seen from her uh, mm-hmm. what did you see from Anna for love life as well pulling out these new things we haven't seen before well there's nothing I love more than taking somebody that everybody thinks they know what they can do and then turning that on its head because you know I meet these people you know and I have meetings with them or have a meal with them and I and I go like gosh you are completely different than the character you usually portray, or you're, you're way funnier than what they usually let you do. And for Anna, it was, it was that. I mean, you know, I fell in love with her when, you know, when the idea for hiring her for, for, love, uh, for Simple Favor came up, because that was such a tough role, because it's a very nerdy person who's kind of people don't like because she's so kind of, you know, on top of things and a little uh, um, driven, you know, to be perfect. And you have to really, you have to find a way to play a character that other people in the movie don't like that we, the audience, like. You know, that's a really tough needle to thread. Um, and so somebody like Anna is just really good at it because she can find, find the humor, find the nerdiness, find the awkwardness, uh, but also kind of still keep you engaged. And so once we had done that film, I just, I mean, I literally just, I'm saying to Anna, like, we have to do something else. I have to find something else for you because you're so great. And I want to explore more sides that we couldn't bring out in a two-hour movie. And so when this project came, I was like, oh, good. We can, we can really get to see every side of Anna 
over the course of these 10 and a half hours uh, in a way that we couldn't all, you know, all in in a movie. Do these actors see what you see when you say, you know, you say to Anna, I, I want to explore this stuff. Does she get what you mean or is she just like, what are you talking about? Uh, I think she gets it. I mean, you know, look, nobody, nobody sees you like somebody who isn't you. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I, we had had so much fun exploring uh, the character in Simple Favor that she was definitely kind of, you know, she, she look, she, she's really smart. She knows her range. She knows what she can do, what she's good at. But like any good actor, they're always looking for something that pushes them into areas that they haven't necessarily gotten to explore yet. And uh, I think she very much saw the potential just because of the nature of the show and because of the nature of this character, how we could do these deep dives into different parts of her personality that, that some that haven't been shown on screen or, or, or not to the extent that we do. Yeah. Um, another project that you are working on right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were filming the pilot when the lockdown happened, which is the US spinoff of This Country, the UK series. Yeah with Sean William okay. Scott, who is another actor where you think, like Sean William Scott, I mean, I'm 29, so my generation knows him as Stifler. Yeah. Um, but tell me about how this project came together and bringing someone like Sean on. Yeah, I mean, you know, that the, the original series of this country is one of the funniest things I've ever seen, just like the, uh, the original UK office was that, that. And so this being a mockumentary, it's got that same thing that I love. I love the mockumentary style or the handheld fly on the wall style for TV comedy because you can shoot it very quickly and it's all about performance. And we have two cameras up and running in that docu style. So I can capture an entire scene, all sides of the scene in one take because of the way we're covering it like a reality show. So because of that, you know, it's very, very dependent on getting a great cast and you have to have just people who are funny, who are inventive. And, um, and that show, the original show, was so based on Daisy and Charlie Cooper, who wrote it not, as well as were the stars of it. So it was intimidating at first. So like, if we don't find the right two people for the lead, we're going to be screwed. Fortunately, we found two newcomers who are amazing. Mm -hmm. But Sean had approached us, because he's such a fan of the original show, that he, he chased us to play wow. Father Joe, yeah, who's such a funny character, but but definitely not a Sean, Sean William Scott type on that show, you know, because he's just a very, you know, the guy in the original show is so funny, but he's a very kind of round, just sort of like normal guy. And Sean is this really handsome guy. So <laughs> when we first got contacted, Jenny Bix, who's doing the show, you know, who's co-running uh, uh, and producing with me, we kind of looked at each other like, wait, really? Does Sean want to play this role? Like, we we kind of didn't see it at all. But we were like, well, I mean, we love him, so let's let's meet with him, because I really enjoy him. I think he's such a good actor and such a funny presence. And the minute we met with him, we were just like, oh my gosh, you are perfect to take control of this character and make it your own. Um, and he's been a delight. I mean, yeah, like you said, we, got, we had to pull the plug after one day of shooting. So we got one day shot. But what we shot in that one day was so much stuff because of this documentary style, we were able to cut together a 16-minute presentation pilot that the, the, the network loved. So we had, they actually ordered three more additional scripts that we're writing right now. We're just trying to figure out how we shoot this in a post-COVID world. So Does it expect it, expect it for like next year, maybe? That would be the hope. I mean, the hope would be that we would be almost maybe even the, in the fall, again, depending on how soon we can get back into production based on the situation that we're in right now with the, with the virus. Yeah. Going back to what I was saying earlier with, um, with your skill of, of bringing these new different things out of actors, 
Do you consider it a skill that you've now honed or is it pure coincidence that you've just happened to work with these world-class actors from a ground level? I mean, we talk about freaks and geeks. You look at that show, Franco, Rogan, Siegel. Then you worked on The Office and then from there you did Bridesmaids and it's just keep going up and up and up. Do you yeah. now know how to pick out an actor and say, this person can be this? I feel like that's probably my, my, one of my, my greatest skills is just being able to see somebody in a way that other people don't see them or also to just be open to using anybody. What happens a lot of times is everybody wants a star, everybody wants a name, everybody has some very specific, like it has, they have to look like this, they have to be this age, they have to be this, this, this. And so you cut off this whole pool of new talent or talent that isn't what you thought they were gonna be or what they should have been. And I've seen this a million times. I mean, I, I used to do it back in, you know, way back when. Somebody come in and you go like, oh my God, they're so great, but they're just not what I had in mind, so we can't use them. And then I eventually learned like, no, rewrite the part. Don't let this great person get away. What you wrote, you know, whatever we wrote is not Shakespeare, you know, it, it can always be adapted and turned into something better. The bigger crime is to let somebody great get away. Because once you get that great person, if you really see that greatness in somebody, and in a way that I like to, I don't just, when I audition people, it's not just like, you just read these lines and let me hear you how to do these lines. We do like an improv part of it. We'll, I'll like do an interview with the person as the character, asking the questions, just to see what they bring to it. So when you start to get that inventiveness and you see, wow, this person's really got something that is self-contained, that person is generally on a trajectory to become something bigger than, than what they are at the moment. Is there any particular character or actor that kind of reflects exactly what you said, where uh, if you didn't push that or push the case, they could have walked out the door and you would have lost that character or that actor? Yeah, I mean, that happened to us um, on, uh, when we were casting Freaks and Geeks um, when uh, Jason Siegel came in. Because I had a very specific person in my life I had written that role about when I was growing up. And he was not at all like Jason Siegel. He was just kind of like like a like a bulldog kind of guy in our neighborhood and so when jason came in this big tall handsome guy you know i was just kind of like oh like wait what's happening he's not at all right but then we were still going like wow he's really good you know and judd was the one who was really like he's like there's that guy's great and i was like i know he's great but i just don't know if he's what that role should be and he's like let's just rewrite it because the guy's great. And I was like, you know what? You're completely right. And, uh, you know, if, if God forbid I had let Jason Siegel walk out the door, I'm sure he would have landed obviously somewhere else as a talented guy, but you know, we were able to use him in a way that we could really show off everything that he does that maybe another show might not have done. I fucking fanboy for a minute. I have to say yourself and Judd Apatow are two of my favorite filmmakers of all time. I mean, you alluded to it there. You guys work together on freaks and geeks. Judd produced Bridesmaid. What is your working relationship like? Do you, you guys just seem pretty in sync with what each of you are doing? Yeah, well, we, I mean, we have very similar taste. I mean, I've known Judd since he was 17 years old. We were all stand-up comedians together, you know, and he was always a few years younger than the rest of us. Um, and we bonded early on, way back then. <laughs> this is hilarious. I mean, it's hilarious. We used to hang out with this big group of, of comedians in this place called The Ranch, we used to call it, which was this really run-down house. We'd just stay up all night playing poker and drinking coffee and then do our stand-up you know, before that. And one night, somebody had found this video. This is back in the days before YouTube, for you youngsters. <laughs> sure. And we used to have to pass around videotapes of, like, funny things. 
And somebody had gotten a hold of this videotape of this woman who was clearly out of her mind doing stand-up comedy, but in different locations with like a laugh track. It was really, it was like bananas. And so we were watching it and Judd and I, this is probably very, shows very a cruel streak in both of us. We just thought it was hilarious. We just could not stop laughing. And everybody else in the room, all our friends were just getting really upset because they're like, clearly this woman, there's something wrong with her and how can you guys laugh? And we were like, well, but she sent the tape. So, I mean, she went to the trouble of make, producing this tape. We, we should, you know, she's, is fair game. <laughs> and so that was the moment we go like, we both realize we both have a similar sense of humor, not so much in cruelty towards people, but <laughs> in, in just kind of going like, we really like oddballs and we really find weird kind of twists of, of normal people to be funny. And so we always kind of stayed bonded after that. And then when Judd was getting successful, he would always like send me scripts that he was working on and I would give him notes. And then when we did heavyweights, you know, he hired me on as an actor and I was hanging around and giving them, you know, thoughts and, and, and jokes for that. And it always just kind of continued that way. So it's really, I mean, it's the same reason why I work well with Melissa McCarthy. We have, a, we have the same sense of humor and you have the same ethos about what you want to do and don't want to do, which is we don't ever want to do something that's dishonest and we don't ever do it something that's just for a laugh with no, emotional logic to it mm. then it falls apart you know um I, the example i like to use is we all have friends who are just nuts you know who are like really nuts and they're funny because of that because they do stuff and you're like oh my god that's so outrageous i don't know why you did that but that's who you are and so i find that funny or at least i excuse it and then sometimes you'll go out with somebody and go like, oh, our friend's coming along. He's really crazy. And you meet this person and this person is clearly trying to be funny and trying to be outrageous. And you're just like, I don't buy this. I don't know. You're just trying to, trying to be shocking or trying to be nuts. And it's not funny. And that's what we're always trying to weed out. We want to make sure we like extreme characters, but they have to, ha they have to feel real to themselves and to us. That's a perfect segue as well, because I, in that last interview we did in November, I asked you about an office reunion. I think people are just getting bored in isolation, wanting all these reunion shows. Uh, I think like literally a couple of weeks later after that interview, you appeared on The Office Ladies with Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey. Um, yeah. For people who might not know, obviously everyone knows The Office, you directed some of the biggest and best episodes of The Office. Obviously, Office Olympics, Halloween, Dinner Party. The one, the big one, I think, would obviously be Goodbye Michael, which is Steve Carell's last episode. We've heard a lot of stories about that day and about that shoot. What do you remember of that day? Well, I mean, it was strung out over five days. So yeah. it was, the, the, the irony was that the famous scene at the end at the airport, that was probably our third day of shooting. So we still had a couple more days. So that wasn't the final thing we did. So we were still emotional, but... Um, it, the interesting thing about that whole show, shooting that whole last episode, was that people were, you know, the cast, we were all devastated because we loved Steve so much. And the fact that his last show, everything became epically sad to us. So everybody's instinct in every scene was to be very emotional and sad. But I had to, as the director, go like, wait, we all love Steve Carell, but the people who work at the office don't really love Michael Scott. They kind of tolerated him and they kind of used to him. But when Michael's leaving, it was like, no, you, some people just go like, yeah, okay, I'll see you later. You know? 
But those are the people who were so emotional. So it was always like, all right, guys, we got that out of our system. Now let's pretend like we don't really like Michael. <laughs> and so it was a lot of that. But but the relationship between you know Pam and, and Michael has always been so interesting that shooting that scene where she went through security and you know and he had taken off the mic, which that was I know Greg Daniels, that was his big thing. He wanted Michael to actually he wanted to see him take off the microphone and put it down. And I love that. So that gave us that nice kind of lost in translation moment of just seeing them talk and you don't hear what they say. And it was really, it gave, I mean, I actually just got a bunch of chills just talking about it now because it was a really special moment. But, um, but I just remember mostly the, the, that last day of shooting because every we just trying to hold it together was so hard i have a picture of greg daniels from back then when like it was towards the end of that day and i was looking and you know that the couch when you, you walk into the office is that couch where people yeah on the right yeah yeah i remember just kind of looking and greg was laying on the couch face down just like like in mourning and i'm just like man that just sums up how we all feel yeah well um, you you mentioned the genuine reactions i know krasinski always tells that story the scene where Jim goes into Michael's office and says goodbye. They weren't meant to actually physically cry, but they couldn't help it. Is that correct? Yeah, that was, that was the one scene where I was like, you know what, I think this is actually okay mm. if, if the emo that emotion is there. Because they always did have that, even though it was a kind of a weird relationship between them, there was something a bonding between them that happened. So yeah, but but even at that, we did, you know, we did a few takes and kind of wanted to see let's try one that isn't quite as emotional you know the good thing is once you've done a bunch of takes you know you become less emotional so but i think that was probably one of our one of our early takes and we didn't do that many takes of the scene i just my job as a director i just have to make sure that i'm covered in the editing room even if it's a very emotional thing where everybody's gets swept up in a moment you know i've been had that so many times you get swept up in a moment then you get to the editing room and you're like we got it in one take and then you're like, oh my God, shit, we need, we need like other takes of this. Like it worked on the set, but now in context of the story, it doesn't work if somebody's too emotional or somebody's too this or that. It's why I, you know, that's why I always think the biggest, biggest lie in like when you see a director in a movie, they're always like, and cut, print it, that's the one. Like <laughs> every time I've done that, that's never been the take I use. <laughs> It's usually the take, I go like, that was terrible. Why did we do that? And then yeah. in the end, you're like, oh, actually, that was really good. Are you allowed to be emotional? Because as you said, everyone's kind of getting really swept up in the moment, but you need those shots. You need those scenes done correctly. So is it tough for you to kind of like, I'm sad, but I'm also working right now? Yeah, you have to be the, for lack of a better term, the adult in the room in those <laughs> moments. And, you know, but I, the way I work is I let everything happen. So I'll follow my emotion too and, and go like, sure, let's do the emotional takes, you know, so I don't even rehearse. I just kind of go like, let's get it set up. Let's go. Cause whatever somebody's natural instinct to do is that's really valid. And, and I mean, eight times out of 10, that's the take you'll use because it's just, it's pure and you haven't already, then I haven't gone like, wait, no, I thought it was me like this, try it this way, try it this way. But then what I do is let them do their thing and then slowly go like, try this, try that. And I'm just trying to work them towards the take that I want, which is I want them to do exactly this, 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 and this. Mm. But by doing it that way, I get all these levels in between. So when I get to the editing room, I've got 10, 12 takes that are all incrementally different. And I'm telling you, nine times out of 10, that take that did everything I wanted it to do is not the one I use because it's, that's me. It's almost like I am now inhabiting that actor's body versus mm. that actor bringing their personality and their take 
having lived the characters to it. And that's more valid than me trying to get like, you know, I hope you can say it, put the emphasis on the, you know, it's like, that is meaningless. Yeah. All right, well, I know you're on a very strict schedule, so I'll get one more question, which is really, what's next for you? Because obviously we're on lockdown, you've got this country in the, I guess not in the can, the first episode's halfway through, I'm assuming. <laughs> Love Life's Out. Uh, you had a cameo on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which you also executive produced. That was fun. Um, what's, what else you got going on? Uh, a lot. There's a lot going on. I mean, we're, you know, we're, I'm writing one of the episodes of this country right now in the hopes that we'll be able to get that up and going. And I'm, you know, I need to finish directing that pilot and I'm hoping to direct several in a row. We want to try to shoot a bunch at the same time. So that, and um, I've been writing this new movie for Universal called Dark Army, a monster movie that may or may not go forward. And there's another project we haven't announced yet, but uh, that I'm, that's coming up soon. It's a, it's a pretty big one. So um, I, 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 I'm not at liberty to say, but it's a movie. So uh, it should be fun. So I'm, I'm very busy, uh, but happy. Trust me, the last thing I want... When I'm not happy, when I'm not happy, when I'm not working, I'm not happy. And I just, I'm like fruit that ripens on the vine and just falls to the ground and rots and then vermin eat it. <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know you have to get back to your quarantine cocktails. Are you wearing pants? I am. I am. I'm well, wearing, I, yeah, yes, exactly. I'm wearing pants right now, too. So <laughs> good, good. I'm, pulling the Zoom, I'm not pulling the Zoom thing with no pants on. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Paul, thank you again. It was great to talk to you. Um, and yeah, Love Life is out tomorrow. It's looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks, Neil. I appreciate it. And I hope everybody gets to watch that. And, uh, and I would love to talk to you again, Neil, when I have more time. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, my friend. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Green Room with Neil Griffiths. And thank you to Sir Paul Feig. Yeah, I'm going to call him Sir, whatever. Uh, the series is called Love Life. It is out on Stan right now. You can check it out. And also check out Paul Feig's Instagram and his quarantine cocktail episodes. If you haven't, you need to do it right now. He's like 60-something episodes deep. It is amazing. It is a laugh. We all need that right now. So again, Love Life is on Stan. Check that out. And then check out Paul Feig's Instagram after you listen to this episode in full, which we're at the outro now, which means you have. So great. Watch Love Life. Thanks. See you next week.